I once believed soft, warm, beautiful things could never flourish in an environment of hard concrete and cold, dark bricks. In a tough, paycheck-to-paycheck, hard-luck place with a name like Flushing, life's finer things appeared only in dreams. I thought on the rare occasions when good things did happen to people like me in neighborhoods such as mine, that they had no place there and were always short-lived. I thought the phrase I had penned on the cover of my loose-leaf notebook senior year was quite ingenious for a kid with such a humble background in education. In large block letters it shouted, Elation is elusive, hard luck enduring. Just beneath that I borrowed a line from Bob Dylan, When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. My negative philosophy was deeply entrenched, not only in my mind, but also my soul. I had been thinking that way all my young life, but you can't blame me. I clearly saw what was happening all around me. I could read the writing on the walls, when there wasn't graffiti obscuring it. But one night, during my eighteenth spring, all that changed in a New York second. My perception of life, love, hope, and pain would never be the same. For that was the night I met Teresa Wayman. Nearly forty years have slipped away since then, yet I can still recollect most of what happened that damp, cold April night in 1967. I was at a dance with my three best friends, Don Scully, Jimmy Curtin, and Steve Waters. At the time, we all played basketball for our respective high schools, and everybody knew it. The borough of Queens is a big place, yet at every dance we went to, we always saw familiar faces. In that respect, and only that respect, this dance, this night, would be no different. As always, we wore our varsity jackets over shirts and ties. We thought we were H.O.T. hot. Too cocky and headstrong, if you ask me now. Real smooth, if you ask me then. Still, we were four nice-looking young guys, drenched in English leather, who could dance with the best of them and fight when we had to. We were always together. That night we were at St. Angus Girls High School in College Point. I was dancing near the gym center court line when, as it does so often in the city, trouble erupted. Fueled by a six-pack of Rheingold beer, I was feeling right, getting into the shingling with Deborah Kennedy, a cute little blonde I knew. We were dancing real well together to the rascals hit Lonely Too Long, and soon, after seeing what we could do, most of the couples around us started giving us a wider berth on the hardwood floor. By now, I was feeling cool, real cool, like Travolta must have a few years later in Saturday Night Fever. But there was somebody in the crowd who didn't think I was all that much, or maybe he did, and that's why he started in. All I know is that this guy who had been dancing next to me, a real tall oriental dude with a greased-back Elvis hairdo, suddenly slammed an elbow into my kidney. Instantly I saw stars, an entire galaxy, and my eyes glazed over just as fast. I hunched over, grabbed my side, tried real hard to squeeze away some of the pain. Then just as quickly I spun back up and around, aimed real high, and nailed the troublemaker with a good one to the cheekbone. Fists were flying, a flurry of rights and lefts, hard punches, and I was getting the better of him. But it didn't last long. Mere seconds elapsed before two chaperones grabbed me, 
big burly blue-collar types and ill-fitting sport coats and mismatched polyester ties. They yanked me off the instigator and started dragging me, no questions asked, toward the principal's office. "'Let me go!' I shouted. "'He started the whole thing!' But it did no good. My captors wouldn't say a word, or listen to one either. They continued to strong-arm me out of the gymnasium then down a long, empty hallway." one beefy hand cuffing each of my skinny arms, I felt like Lee Harvey Oswald just before he ran into Jack Ruby. After successfully transporting me to the principal's office, my captors paused for a moment and eyeballed the long row of empty metal folding chairs lining the wall just inside the doorway. "'Let's put him over there,' one of them finally said, jutting his square jaw toward the farthest chair from the doorway." They marched me over, plopped me down, and gave me two nasty looks that said, don't even think about making a run for it.